and I'd like for you to take the Word of God and uh, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I think I said this last week, if you're looking for the book, it comes after 1 Corinthians. So just to help you out, I'm going to help you out as much as I can. New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, we're almost at the very end of the book, and uh, we're going to look at verses 1 through 10 today. Once you find yourself there, I'm going to have you do something, hopefully uh, that's easy for everyone, but I'd like for you to also turn to John 9. So, of course, hold your place in 2 Corinthians 10, I'm sorry, 12, and then John 9, 2 Corinthians 12. And then John 9, the Gospel of John, chapter 9. And uh, we finished our series on truth last Sunday. And today we're going to start on a series of messages, just a few messages on what we're not ashamed of. We've already kind of talked about some of these things, but... Um, this is completely new information, hopefully, overall. And uh, today, part one, we're going to talk about not being ashamed of our weakness. Not being ashamed of our weakness. Let's stand for the reading of God's word, John 9, first. John 9, and we'll look at verses 1 through 3. If you would, let's read out loud together and just try to process what we're reading Focus on understanding this passage, if you would. Verse number one, together, John 9, verse one. And as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this passage. I thank you for the truth, setting a right, um, incorrect thinking. Sometimes we come to the wrong conclusions based on wrong presupposition or prejudice or views uh, out of line with scripture. Of course, so many people think they know what Jesus would do, uh, except they don't read the word. And, but yet we know that Jesus uh, corrected some wrong thinking here. Why was this man born blind? Was it because of his sin, his parents' sin? But no, that you would be able to manifest your glory through his weakness. And so I pray that you would help us today to take this to heart. As we study your scripture, that we would realize your purpose is greater than what we think we should do in our life and what we think your will should be in our life, your purpose is that you would be glorified in all things, that you would have the preeminence. God, help us to get out of the way and allow you to do your work in our lives today and every day that we live. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Sometimes we look at our life and we look at the hurt. We look at all of the pain. We look at all of the suffering and hardship. 
and we think, God must not love me. Now, have you ever thought that? God must not love me. Or, I must be doing something wrong. And I want to remind us today, if you, and, and maybe tell you for the first time, if you've never heard this before, that your suffering is not a failure of God's plan. In fact, suffering is God's plan for the Christian. 1 Peter 4, and don't turn there, just listen as I read, because we're going to be all over the place here, but 1 Peter 4, 12, here's a support text for our sermon. Verses 12 and 13, Peter writes, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, or test you, as though some strange thing happened unto you. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I think it was Brother Larry that said yesterday, um, Brother Larry Schmidt, that, and I'm going to butcher what he said, but he was quoting somebody else, and they said that if you knew, uh, you would do God's will, if you knew what God, how, how it would turn out in the end. You would want, it would be what you would want for yourself. Right. Doing God's will is what you would want for yourself if you could see the end. But the process is the hard part. The, the potter's wheel, the furnace, the crucible of suffering is the refining process, but we don't want to go through the process. But if you don't go through the process, you won't get to the other side. 2 Timothy 3.12, Paul says, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. And I'm going to quote what Jesus said, The servant is not greater than the Lord. How come I went through suffering and you're not going to go through suffering? Of course we should expect it, right? God uses our human weakness and suffering to show himself strong to us. And when we are weak, we become aware more than ever that we have a need. And our greatest need is God. We become aware of the fact that we cannot stand alone. But, but praise God, we don't stand alone. Our weakness shows us that we have a need but shows us that we have someone that will supply and meet the need. So many of us think we don't need God. So many of us think that we don't have a need. But praise God for weakness and suffering that shows us we have a need, but we have a need supplier that is willing and able to help us. Weakness is a way for God to manifest his strength to us and through us. How is God going to show his grace to us if we don't need God's grace? See, we want, we want to sing about amazing grace, how sweet the sound, but we don't want to sing that, that second part, that saved a wretch like me. Because some of us have not gotten to the place where we admit that we are a wretch who needs help. But praise God for his grace 
And uh, praise God for the reality of suffering that brings us to the place where we know we need God's help. Uh, number one, we understand. We need to understand or understand our weakness. Number two, the power of God in our weakness. Paul experienced weakness. And Paul's experience of weakness uh, revealed God's will in his life. You want to know God's will. And we ask, God, show me your will. Sometimes we don't want God's will. But when we do God's will, then we begin to develop and grow spiritually. But we have to submit to that process. 2 Corinthians, you're there, verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. We'll read seven verses to begin with here. And we see Paul's experience. Verse number 1. Paul says, uh, It is not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether in the body I cannot tell or whether out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth. Such an one caught up in the third heaven. He's talking about himself. Paul had seen a vision of heaven. Verse 3. And I knew such a man, whether in the body or out of the body I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for a man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory. But in mine infirmities, for though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool. For I will say the truth, but now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. He's saying, do not put me on a pedestal. And sometimes we do that with people in our life. We put them up where they should not be. Paul's saying, don't do that with me. Verse 7, he says, unless I should be exalted above measure, exalted in his own eyes, exalted maybe to others, but especially in his own estimation, Paul is saying in verse 7, he says, And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh. That word thorn here in the Greek is not used anywhere else in the Bible. It just means a sharp object. Something that was um, pointed, sharp. And he says that God gave that thorn in the flesh to me. He says the messenger, in essence, that thorn took on that personality or the, uh, the role of a messenger. That thorn, if you will look at it, was the messenger, verse 7, of Satan to buffet me. Um. Among the Hebrews, it was customary to attribute pain and suffering and disease to Satan. Now, of course, I don't think Job was a Jew, but I'll read what Job said as a Gentile. He said in chapter 2, verses 6 and 7 of Job, And the Lord said unto Satan, Behold, he is in thine hand, but save his life. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord and smote Job who, who, with sore boils from the sole of his foot unto the crown. 
And in the Hebrew's mind, uh, Hebrew person's mind, a Jewish person's mind, they, they look at the suffering and the disease and the affliction and the difficulty as a direct result of Satan's work in their life. But Paul looked at this affliction and this thorn in the flesh, and he refused to see it as an affliction. Rather, he saw it as a gift from God. And uh, uh, maybe this was a person in his life, a uh, false teacher. Maybe this was a physical disease or problem. A lot of people would say it's a physical problem that Paul was going through. But he doesn't say what the thorn in his flesh was. But he does say this was a messenger of Satan coming into his life. But read the rest of the verse. Verse 7, look at it if you would. Don't miss this. He says, there is a purpose for my suffering. He alludes to it in the first part of the verse. He says, lest I should be exalted above measure. But the end, he says, lest I should be exalted above measure. He repeats it, doesn't he? He says, this is the purpose of my suffering. Verse number 8, we see that uh, Paul says, for this thing, I besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. What does that mean? He said, I went to God in prayer three separate times and God did not remove the thorn in my flesh. See, God had blessed Paul. God had given Paul a lot of opportunity that maybe you and I will never have uh, in this lifetime. Paul was uh, permitted to uh, see the wonders of heaven. And also at this point, God had used Paul to write several books in the New Testament. He had written a letter to the Galatians. He had written 1st and 2nd Thessalonians. He had written 1st Corinthians. And as he's writing 2nd Corinthians, he's saying, God's given me a lot of blessing. And because of that blessing, he's allowed me to suffer because I know in my flesh I would become filled with pride. He's saying this suffering is so that I don't don't become exalted above measure. Verse number 10, or verse 9, we skip verse 9, let's read it. And he said unto me, this is God's answer to his prayer. Do you know that God always answers prayer? God doesn't always give us the answer we want, and he doesn't always give us the answer we want in the time frame that that we want. But God always answers our prayer. But he says to him in verse number 9, Paul is saying, this is what God said to me. My grace is sufficient or enough. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. God's strength is perfected when we are weak. His strength is seen, is manifest in our life when we become weak. Because if we are strong, if we are mighty, guess what? We can take the credit. And many times we do take the credit, don't we? We take the credit. But he's saying, God makes me weak so that he can be glorified. The last part of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest Upon me. When we are strong, 
we may be tempted to rely on our own abilities. When we're strong, we begin to trust ourselves. When we're strong, the natural progression is that we begin to forget about God. Right? But when we are weak, when we're weak, we are forced to turn to God and to trust his power and his provision. Verse number 10, Paul says here, therefore, okay, you're putting this all into a complete package. This is like the bow, all right? The bow on the present, verse number 10. He's saying, God gave me a thorn in the flesh. It's a gift. He said, God gave it to me. And he gave it to me so that I don't become filled with pride. And in fact, I went back to God and I said, God, take it away. Three different times he prayed, God, remove the thorn in my flesh. But God says, no, I'm not taking it away because my grace is enough for you. And because of your weakness, I can be glorified. In verse 10, he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities. How many of us can say that in honesty? How many of us can say, I take pleasure in infirmities? How many of us can say, I take pleasure in reproaches, in necessities, in need? Nobody wants to be in need. How many of you want to be needy? None of us want to be that way. I think some people enjoy being that needy personality, right? Just needy. Needs attention all the time. Nobody really wants to be needy, though. Nobody nobody wants to live where you don't know where your next meal is coming from. And most of us have never really experienced that. Some of you have. But most in this country don't understand what true necessity is. But Paul Paul realized what all of this was. But he says, I'm actually better off spiritually when I'm in need. I'm better off spiritually when I am afflicted. I'm saying, Pastor, this is not going to fill the church. This kind of message is going to turn people away. You know, this is actually the true message of Christ. The gospel is that we will suffer with Christ. That's part of this message. We need to understand what it is to go through need and necessity and reproach, to not be liked. We should not live our life desirous of being liked by everybody. Okay? So many of us live, live where we are under constant pressure and stress because we are so concerned about what our friends think of us and what our parents think of us and what our children think of us and what our pastor thinks of us and what other people church think of us and what random weird people on social media think of us. People we've never met before. People we would have never probably even share a meal with. Yet we're concerned. What do they think about me? We live our lives. It's, got, it's so pronounced today. Uh, it, it's comical. We're laughing about it, right? Because we know that's how we are in our flesh, isn't it? We are so concerned about what everyone thinks about us. We're living for that. But reproach is something that Paul, Paul was not looking for fights, okay? That, there's a whole other aspect to this where we can swing this pendulum the whole, if you know what I mean. We can go from where we, I just don't want to be hurt. I don't want to be afflicted. I don't want to be needy. I don't want to live where people don't like me. Then there's a whole other group of people who, here over on the other side 
The pendulum swings this way. And they live their life to just be nasty and mean and to just not be liked, okay? I don't understand that. That doesn't seem natural to me. But there's some people that say, I'm suffering for Christ, and they're just a, a mean person. And they're bringing it on themselves. But when we're just doing what the Lord has called us to do, and we live for the Lord, and we're just living uh, to please an audience of one, and we live for God, and we receive reproach, and we go through suffering, and we have weakness in our life, you know what? That allows us to say, thank you, God, for helping me through the day. Thank you, God, for giving me this meal. When was the last time that we actually sat down and truly from our heart thanked the Lord for the food? Now, most of us probably pray over every meal. I try to. Sometimes I'm so hungry I forget. Then I do a post-prayer. Lord, forgive me and thank you. But how many times do we actually sit down and think about how good God is to us? So Paul is saying, and I don't think I finished verse 10, so let's read it. Therefore, and think about it as we're reading. This is the bow on the package. Therefore, I take pleasure. What is he saying? I take pleasure in infirmities. I like this. He doesn't enjoy it in the sense that we, it's not a you know, sadomasochist, somebody that just enjoys uh, suffering, but he understands it's good for him. Some of you know that I'm in the police academy, and Milwaukee Police Academy is six and a half months of just a lot of fun, right? No. You see, you're laughing, so you understand at least, I hope, that it's getting more difficult. And it's not necessarily always a walk in the park. They're good people, but I'm telling you, I do not enjoy PT, okay, physical training in the gym and doing those six-inch leg lifts, 12-inch, six-inch, 12, six, 12, 12. He's like, all right, stop talking. You guys keep talking. We're going to have to do it again. Oh, I don't think I can go any further. And then you do it 10 more times, running in the hallways, constantly running, 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 running two and a half miles around the city of Milwaukee. And yet the suffering is there, and the pain is there. Why? To make us stronger. I do not like working out, probably like most of us. Some of you, are, you just love working out. But most of us don't enjoy working out. But I'm so thankful for the product that it gives. You feel better sometimes after, uh, you know, working out. You know, I feel, I feel at the end of the day when I didn't work out, I'm like, man, I wish I hadn't eaten that. Or I wish I had taken a few more steps today. But I'm not necessarily gung-ho about going out and running. In the police academy, you're forced to do it. But I understand. In the physical aspect of things, the same principle applies. If you put yourself through the difficulty and the suffering and you get through it, there's always, hopefully, a product at the end. Spiritually, the same is true. God wants to make us into being like Jesus, and so suffering is part of that. 
Therefore, verse 10, therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, and necessities, and persecutions, and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, now this, this actually goes against our normal thinking. When I'm weak, then I'm strong? It's a paradox, right? We see that God blessed Paul, he'd given him all these things, and yet he's, he's saying, Paul, in your, in your mind, sometimes you might start thinking that you're really special. But I have to keep you humble. And when we're strong, we begin to think that we can do it on our own, but God says, no, you cannot. <clears throat> he needs weak Christians. God needs weak in their own strength. Let me put it that way. He needs Christians who realize that they are weak. The difference between Uncle Sam and Jesus is that Uncle Sam won't enlist you unless you're healthy. And Jesus won't enlist you unless you're sick. I like how somebody put that. <laughs> how many of you, uh, you know, maybe tried out to get into the military? I never did that. I signed the selective service thing when I turned 18, and thankfully they never called my number. But I've known some people that tried to get into the military, and they said because of their flat feet or eyesight or other issues physically, in their infirmity or their weakness physically, eh, the government was like, no, we don't, we don't need you. Thank you for, for enlisting, but we don't need you. But God says all of your strength, all of your ability, all of your... All of your giftings and all the talent that you have, I don't need that. I need somebody who is incapable in their flesh or will not rely on their flesh. God is not looking for an assistant. The gospel is not a help-wanted ad. It is a help available ad. God is not looking for people to work for him, but people who will let him work mightily in and through him. Number three today, we see boasting in our weakness. He says that. Uh, Paul is not saying that he will glory, when he says that he's, will not, he will glory in his infirmities, he's not bragging about sickness. It's not that he enjoyed poor health but that he learned that his weakness could become a strength. And he embraced it. Number four, he embraced, and we need to embrace our weakness. Look at verse seven, if you will, again. Paul received his weakness as a gift from God. You see that? Verse number seven. And lest I should be exalted above measure, though through the abundance of the revelations that were given to me, there was given. See it there? What does that word given mean? It means it was a gift. It was a gift. Now, how many of you would sign up for that kind of gift? Like, I don't want that gift. But Paul said, this was a gift to me. And sometimes we have to just kind of rethink through our suffering and say, you know what? Because of my weakness, God is able to do something greater through me. And God will get all the glory. Paul didn't see it as an affliction. He saw it as a gift, and God 
even though God allowed the devil to put this affliction in his life like Job, Satan tried to disrupt things in Job's life. Satan tries to disrupt things in your life and my life. But where Satan rules or thinks that he's in charge, where Satan rules, God always overrules. See, Satan has been given a limited amount of ability and power, but ultimately he will have to bend his knee to Jesus Christ. What a gift, huh? What a gift, yet but all things work together for good to them that love God. And God doesn't make any mistakes. In his sovereignty, God knows all things. God does all things well. I think of the song by Fanny Crosby, All the way my Savior lead me, led, uh, leads me. What have I to ask besides? Thank God for his leading. Uh, can I doubt his tender mercy, who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me. I don't think those are just words. This is coming from the pen of somebody who understood what suffering was. See, Fanny Crosby was blind. Fanny Crosby did suffer in this life like some have not suffered. But she trusted the Lord and she said, She said, For I know that where, where'er befall me, or whatever, whatever comes into my life, Jesus doeth all things well. God does it well. Everything that we are going through is on purpose and for a purpose. Just simply receive your suffering and weakness as a gift. Don't merely endure it. Receive it. Say, thank you, Lord, for the suffering Thank you, Lord, for the good things, and thank you for the bad things. Job said in Job 121, the Lord gave and the Lord hath taken away. Anybody could say that, but Job went on to say, blessed be the name of the Lord. When you begin to say that in your life, you are beginning to understand victory as a Christian. Victory and saying, ah, God, thank you so much for your salvation. Thank you so much for Jesus dying for me. Thank you so much for the death, the burial, and the resurrection. Thank you, God, for all these good things in my life. Maybe some of the blessings that you've enjoyed in your Christian experience. Thank you, God, for all of those things. But when you begin to say, and Lord, even though you gave me some things and you took some things away, blessed be your name. Thank you, God, for all that you do, the good and even sometimes the things that I think are not so good. But all things are good in God's time. And uh, so receive it from the Lord. Say, thank you, Lord. Thank you. And uh, Paul said, there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. Our weakness helps us to rely on God. Sometimes God uses our weakness and suffering to get our attention. C.S. Lewis once described suffering as God's megaphone through which he calls on people to turn to him. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our conscience, but he shouts in our pain. It is his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. See, if everything was so easy in this sin-cursed world, a lot of people, if not everybody, nobody, nobody would turn to the Lord. But because of suffering, because of discomfort, because of the pain and anguish that people endure, 
we begin to contemplate the purpose of life and we begin to contemplate what it's all about and it drives us to search out for the truth and hopefully turn to the Lord. Charles Spurgeon said, The promises of God never shine so brightly as when they do in the furnace of affliction. How are you going to find out the goodness of the Lord? How are you going to experience the, uh, the, the trustworthiness of God? It is through the furnace of affliction. It is through the hardships that we begin to realize that God is good and God is with us and God does all things well. When we begin to hold on to God's hand and he brings us to the other side, it is then that we begin to see God does have a purpose in all of this suffering. It is to drive us to him. It is drive to drive the world to him so that we do not go headlong into hell because that is what we deserve because of our sin nature we deserve that. And if God were to, just, were to just pave the way, not like these Milwaukee streets that we drive on, which are full of potholes, by the way, but if God, and, and that, that could be an illustration, we are more aware of where our car is when we're driving down some of these streets, aren't we? I'm, I'm driving down the street behind something, I see him all of a sudden swerve in front of me, you know, swerve out of the way of something. I'm like, what? In the, was there a squirrel there? Was there a cat? Was it a dog? No, it's a four-foot deep pothole that they just swerved around. But if the street to hell was paved smooth, we would all end up in an eternity of suffering apart from God, never to get out. But because God is merciful Because God is always good and he's always right, suffering is part of the process. For the unbeliever, yes, even for those that know the Lord. So, the promises of God never shine so brightly as when they do in the flame or furnace of affliction. By the way, most of the men in the Bible who fell into sin didn't fall at the point of weakness, they fell at the point of their strength. You think about David. His strength was integrity. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Where did he fall? He fell in the, in the area, in the arena of integrity. He committed adultery. What was Peter's point of strength? Peter was a man of courage. Remember Peter? Simon Peter? He's like, I'll never deny you. And um, he was the one that jumped out of the boat to come see Jesus. <laughs> I'm sure the other disciples were like, what are you doing? You crazy, uh, you crazy man, come on. But he walked on the water. He got to experience some things that nobody else did. He wanted to walk on water. He was the guy that took the sword uh, and cut off the high priest's servant's ear, right? When they came to arrest Jesus, he cut off Malchus's ear, that was the one that Jesus picked up and put back on, you know. And, uh, but that was Peter. And yet, Peter, the man of courage, is the one who denied Christ three times. That was the point of his strength, not his weakness. So we must realize that our perceived strength in our life 
is not something we should ever, ever, ever rely on because that is where we're going to be susceptible to failure. Think about the old castles in Europe. I heard a story about a castle, I believe it was in Scotland, that was fortified to the max on all sides except for the back, which was overlooking a deep valley, and the people who built this castle thought, that will never fall. That side is our strong side, and we don't have to put any fortification on that side because we will never be attacked from that side. Guess where that castle fell? At the point of its strength. Because that was where they least expected an attack to come from. And that's many times when we, in our own uh, intelligence, in our own uh, intellect, in our own way of thinking, in ignorance, thank you, we begin to think that we can get by because this is where I'm strong. But that's where the devil's going to attack us. So may we submit even the areas of our life that we think we're strong, especially those areas, submit that to the Lord and say, Lord, help me to realize that without you, I can do nothing. And I cannot rely on my own strength. Paul realized that his strength could be a weakness. And his weakness could be a strength if God made him weak. So uh, as to make him, he said, just make me weak. That's okay, God. I'm okay with that. I accept that. So I'm going to receive that as a gift. Lastly, our weakness can encourage others. Or second to lastly, I should say, I've got one more point. George Truett, how many of you ever heard that name before? George Truett, he was a pastor of First Baptist Church of Dallas many, many years ago. In fact, he died, I believe, in the 40s. But George Truett was a great man of God. He was a tremendously effective pastor for many, many decades in that church in Texas. But his heart was broken one day when he accidentally killed his best friend while they were on a hunting trip. His daughter said that she never heard him laugh after that day. Truett continued in his ministry. He had a radio program, and each day when it came to the close, he would always say, be good to everybody, because everybody is having a tough time. When you suffer and when I suffer, when we begin to realize that we are nothing, that we are weak, and without God's help, we cannot do anything, and truthfully, nobody can do anything without God's help, we begin to realize that there are other people that are suffering as well, and other people have needs, and other people can use our encouragement, and other people can use us praying and loving on them. And uh, uh, we can say what, uh, what George Truett said, be good to everybody because everybody is having a tough time. Sometimes we cross paths with people that are so rude and so nasty and so mean and so unkind and so, uh, I'm, I'm coming back over because I, I know that Miss uh, Deborah has a vocab word for me, okay? She's going to pull her mask down. She's going to tell me the next word. And uh, you got people out there that, that, you know, and working in the police department, you will see people as an officer on their worst day. The worst day that they will ever have in their life, maybe, for most people. 
And by the way, police officers don't get invited to birthday parties. They get invited to bad things, right? It's never really a celebration when you get there. But people are going through hard times, and that's partly why they are so nasty and mean and unkind and having a bad day, and they want you to have a bad day because misery loves company. And they don't like it when you're happy. They don't like it when you're smiling. I remember my dad walked into a place one time, and my dad always tried to have a, a smile on his face, and he held the door for somebody. And by the way, that's kind of an insult, I guess, sometimes. you know, Don't hold the door for me, and they'll go through the other door. And, uh, but he held the door for somebody, and they, they looked at him, and he was smiling at them. Now, this was probably back in the 90s, because I remember the story that he told. Held the door for them, and they said, how's it going, smiley? <laughs> and, and some people just don't like it that you are having a good day or at least are smiling. You might be having the worst day and you still have the smile because of the grace of God in your life, but some people are just nasty. But it doesn't mean that God doesn't love them, and it doesn't mean that God doesn't have a plan for them, and it doesn't mean that, uh, that for some reason we have to give in to their uh, nasty uh, attitude and then uh, give it back, right? Some people just have a heavy heart. And they've never understood what love is. They're looking for the answer. They're looking for love. Sometimes the most nasty people are <laughs> they're right on they're right on the cusp of getting saved. They're under conviction. They're lost. They're looking. They're searching. So don't judge a book by its cover every time, okay? Sometimes you do, and you're like, yeah, well, that the, what was inside is exactly what was on the cover too. So. You know, but sometimes people have that tough exterior, but inside they are crumbling. They are falling apart. Their world fell apart. Uh, their spouse left them. Somebody important died in their life. They're facing something uh, just so difficult that maybe we couldn't even relate to them. But guess what? We know somebody who can. So if we take the time to understand what's going on in the life, many times we find that they... Uh, although have a tough exterior, inwardly they are desperately wishing for someone to care about them. Lastly, our weakness can be used for God's glory. That's what Paul did. He, note, uh, he said in verse 10, if you would look at it, uh, Therefore I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses, for Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And he gives God glory. He gives glory. He says, I'm not going to glory. If you read, well, we read all those uh, verses, verses 1 through 10. And uh, he talks about how I'm not going to glory in myself. I'm not going to glory in anything except for the Lord and my infirmities. God allowed that to happen, and it's a blessing for me. But our weaknesses can be used to bring glory to God. To help others, encourage others, to help us do right, help us to get close to the Lord, but also to bring glory to God. Everybody suffers. Did you know that? Everybody suffers. Everybody's going through something. The longer you live in this world, you begin to realize that everybody is hurting on some level, right? Everybody's hurting on some level. Whether you're saved or whether you're lost, people are suffering. But isn't it wonderful as a Christian, we have the option and we have the privilege to use our suffering 
to bring glory to God. To bring glory to God. I've known some folks that have gone through some of the darkest, deepest valleys. Lost children. If you lose a child, you have lost somebody before. Of course, discounting what we already understand that God's timing is always best. But in the scheme of life, in the, the way things ought to go, if you lose a child, you've lost that child before it was their time. Because probably one of the worst things is to bury a child. Probably next to burying a parent or a sibling but I've known some folks who have gone through some of the darkest, deepest valleys. Losing that loved one, facing criticism, health problems, struggling with what is this all about? But I've known some Christians that have said, I know why I'm suffering. And it is to bring glory to the Lord. And in, through, in and through their life, people were saved. Lives were changed. God was given credit. God was glorified. People got right with the Lord. That's what it's all about. See, this is against the American dream. <laughs> okay, I'm sorry. I mean, God is good. And we enjoy, we enjoy, we enjoy many things that we call blessings, but... Not every blessing is actually from the Lord. And some of the things that we say is a curse is actually a blessing from the Lord. We've got to change our thinking on suffering. Paul's pain became a platform and a pulpit from which to glorify God. And he used that pulpit well, didn't he? He used, he used his life in a very, very effective way. God used him in a way that he will not use us. We're not going to write scripture. We're not going to have that opportunity. Okay? But we've been given something that actually Paul didn't even have. We have the completed word of God. We have a Bible. Okay? He had some of it. We have all of it. So what a blessing it is to, to know that Paul, Paul went through some things so that we could understand it a little bit better. God gave him some revelation. He gave him some, some things that we, don't, we didn't maybe get, but he wrote it down for us so that we can grow in our understanding of suffering, pain. Father, I pray that you would help us t- this morning to give up some of these things that we think are so important the comforts of life that we think we have to have. Help us to understand that sacrifice, suffering, weakness is all part of your your plan for us. May we not resist you. May we not push away what is really a gift to us. May we embrace it. 
May we understand there's nothing wrong with us. So many times we think there's something wrong with me. I did something wrong. I'm displeasing God somehow. Father, help us realize that affliction, weakness, like the man in John 9, is not because of sin every, in, in every case. It's not because of sin. It's because of God getting the glory. May you get that glory in our life. Lord, help us to realize there's not necessarily something wrong with us. In fact, this is part of your plan. May we accept it, embrace it, receive it as a gift. I pray for each and every Christian here that maybe had um, a reminder or maybe for the first time heard some things. I pray that all of us would say, Lord, thank you for everything. Thank you for everything. We receive it as a gift. Father, I pray for the unsaved here. If there's somebody that doesn't know you as their personal Savior, they would realize that all of the pain that they've endured in their life has brought them to this place in time where they have an opportunity to look to Jesus, to realize that without the suffering, they would, they would ride on a smooth road all the way to judgment for eternity. But something along the way has caught them and cause them to look for the right answer. I pray that today that they would receive forgiveness of their sins and realize that they are guilty before a holy God. They deserve eternal punishment. But because you loved us so much, you gave your son to die on the cross for our sin. You stood in my place. You stood in their place. And today I pray for the, the one that's lost, that they would receive in faith the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I pray that you bless this invitation, help Christians to, to come and receive help and to have burdens lifted. I pray that we would all have been edified today. But I pray for the unbeliever, if there's someone here that needs to get saved, that this morning that they would come and they would come for counsel and talk to me and, uh, and or to one of the other people down here that we could direct them to, whether it's a man or a woman, there's somebody that can talk to them. I pray that you bless this time of invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet, every head bowed, every eye closed. Come to the front, come up to the altar. We have folks down here that can counsel with you, show you from the word of God.